Well, friends, I'm going to invite you to turn over to Exodus chapter 20. That's going to be where we are this morning, back into the Ten Commandments. And we're taking a little turn in our study of the Ten Commandments. Uh, If you've been with us for the last few weeks, you know one of the things we've said is that the Ten Commandments break down into several commandments that focus on our relationship to God, what it looks like to honor Him. And then they switch to some commands that help us know how to love one another. That if you, if, if you think about the two great commandments that Jesus identified when he looked back on the law, the command to love the Lord your God with everything that you are and to love your neighbor as yourself, then you can think about these first, the first batch of commands in the Ten Commandments as aimed at love for God with everything that you are. And then you can look at the second batch of commands as helping us understand what it looks like to love our neighbors as ourselves. It's interesting to me, given that breakdown, that the first command that aims us at our neighbors is a command to honor your father and your mother. Love for neighbor, one person put it, begins in the home. Isn't that interesting? That's not what I would have expected. I came across this week an old quote that really struck me because it's kind of cliche now to sort of do a lot of hand-wringing about kids these days, you know? Every generation has the, has the kids these days critique. Listen to this one from like 3,000 years ago or some such. From Socrates, famous philosopher. Listen to what he says. Youth today, he says, have bad manners, contempt for authority, no respect for older people, and talk nonsense when they should work. Young people don't don't stand up any longer when adults enter the room. They contradict their parents. They talk too much in company. They guzzle their food. They lay their legs on the table and tyrannize their elders, end quote. That's Socrates, ancient Greece. I'm going to try not to fall into kind of presentist bias that usually leads to this kind of hand-wringing. Like things were always better back in the past than they are now. Uh, I'm going to try not to fall into that while we talk about honoring parents. But I will say that even if critiques like this, sort of cliche about kids these days, is uh, a little short-sighted, shall we say, and lacking with, of historical perspective and context, uh, they're not wrong to recognize the stakes involved in how parents and kids relate to one another. They're not wrong about that. Much rests on healthy relationships between parents and kids. Uh, It's important enough to inspire this kind of hand-wringing. Because families are basic building blocks in all human societies. That's been true for all time. No matter what kind of government structure a people has had to organize its life together on a larger scale, there's never been a time or a place where the basic building block of any society was the family. So when that foundation gets cracks, the whole building is in trouble. I think it's not accidental that the commands in the Ten Commandments that aim us at one another, at love for neighbors, start here, inside this fundamental unit for a society. Because for us to flourish in our relationships with one another, we need healthy parent-child relationships. We need parents that are faithful to their kids, and as this command aims us, kids that honor their parents. In fact, let me think about it. This is the relationship through which all the other commands about what it looks like to love your neighbor come to you as a person. That's the way that the law envisions this, that parents receive this law and then it's their job to pass it on to their kids. So if kids and parents, their relationship is breaking down, if kids aren't honoring their parents and they're not going to get the commands about not committing adultery and not stealing and not lying and not coveting, all the other commands flow through this one. So we start here. Love for neighbor begins at home. 
I want us to look at what it means to honor your parents, and I want, to look, I want us to look at how we can honor our parents. And I want to do this, first of all, just by trying to take the command on its own terms, just to try to understand what the writer had in mind based on the larger context for it. And then I want to talk about different categories of people in this room for how you can honor your parents if you're a kid at home still, how you can honor your parents if you're an adult who doesn't live at home. And I want you to know, because I know how sensitive this topic can be, depending on what your history with your parents has been, that I am going to end this morning by talking about what it looks like to honor parents who are dishonorable. If you had parents who have not loved you well, then much of what I may say about the sort of ideal scenario could be hard for you to hear. And so I want you to to, to pray to God for patience and grace to listen to those words and to bear with me and the rest of us and know that at the end, we're gonna come back to the situation you're in and look for grace and peace through Christ to honor your parents despite their flaws. So that's where we're headed this morning. I wanna ask you now to stand with me in honor of God's word as I read the one verse that we're gonna unpack together this morning from Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. This is God's word. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. This is God's word. You can be seated. What does it mean to honor your parents? The word for honor here is connected to a a word that's most often used for God, for his glory, for what it looks like to worship him. It's a word that's connected to to heaviness, something of substance and weight, something that's serious and important. So to honor parents is to treat them with the weight that is theirs. To, if you imagine a scale, you know, and you're weighing something for its value, it's to weigh it correctly, to give it the, the, the honor, that, to give them what they're due, what they have coming to them based on the, the weight of who they are and what that relationship means. I want to give you just two examples of what it means to honor our parents based both on this verse and on the context in which it's placed. If honor is connected to rightly valuing them, if it's connected to seeing the weight of who they are and what what their relationship is to you, then we can honor our parents. What it means to honor our parents is to treasure them and to trust them. Two T's. Makes it easier. Treasure them and trust them. To treasure them. I think this is the first takeaway, actually. The first first line uh, meaning of of this phrase uh, it, it has to do with, with recognizing weight, with properly evaluating something. And I think in, in context, that just simply means to recognize what a treasure it is to have parents, what a gift from God. Parents aren't dispensable. They're not inconvenient, an inconvenience. They're not an obstacle to your happiness. They're God's gift to children for their flourishing. So far more than just meaning to, that, that we obey them, far more than just mere obedience, this command to honor them has to do with a posture of heart, kind of recognizing in your heart the truth about their value. The way you would honor a diamond over a, a little nugget of limestone. Right? One is, is worthy of a, different, of a different honor than the other. And this text is calling us to recognize the treasure that having parents actually is. And I think there's lots of reasons to treasure parents we could talk about. Uh, we could go on and on about that. But what I want to do is just focus in on one reason to treasure parents. It's especially important in the, the way that the law comes to us. The larger context of this command has, I think, one particular way 
in, uh, aspect in mind of what it is to have parents, the treasure that they are. Parents are our God-given authority for guiding us in life under God. One reason they're worthy of being treasured like this is that they're God's means for orienting us to life under him. I think this is an area where our intuitions now, here in the 21st century, especially in the West, our intuitions are often going to be out of line with the Bible on this. Because sometimes I think we tend to think about parents, uh, especially the parents using their authority, as a threat to our children's development. That, that maybe actually it could suppress them finding them their own voice, their own way in the world, their own individuality. That, that of course, we value parenting for protection and safety and provision, but, but sometimes can think that it's better for children to direct their own development, especially as they figure out what they love and what they value. Sometimes that can be our intuition, our gut reaction to the notion of parents as good and God-given authority can be a negative one. I think we need to check ourselves on that. And you need to know that it's just really crystal clear, not just in this passage, but all through the Old Testament and through the New Testament, that God values authority. That he sees authority as a gift in our lives. That authority is one way he communicates his truth, his goodness, and his blessing into our lives. Uh, Now, the Bible is super realistic about how authority can be abused. That, that authority is a power tool that can often do great harm as well as accomplish great good. The Bible's really, really clear about that too. But it never, the, the, the fact that authority can be abused never causes any part of the scriptures to shade how beautiful God-given, God-honoring authority really is. One of the things we looked at in First Peter uh, in the fall was this, this part of that letter where one after another after another example of godly authority is given to us. That Christians are to lean into the authority of the government, it said, to the authorities of the household, to, to, um, to the authorities in the church. And at the most basic level, on all of these authorities that the Bible celebrates, the most basic level of authority that God has given for our good is the authority of parents in their homes. That's a treasure, the Bible teaches us, something to regard as weighty and substantial and to be embraced. And I think, again, this is going back to something I said a minute ago. I think the main reason for that, the main reason that, that the authority of parents in our lives is something we're meant to treasure, is that, is that it, it comes to us as a kind of precondition for all the other commands that God wants to communicate to us. All the other goodness that he wants to unleash in our lives through his ways come through parents. So this is what Deuteronomy chapter 6 this is Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's got a similar setting to the one we're in now. Where the people of Israel are gathered together at Mount Sinai. They're getting the law from God. And, and he speaks to them in Deuteronomy chapter 6, these words. He says, these words that I command you today, words like the one we're looking at here, words like the Ten Commandments, shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, he says. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. In other words, these commands, these words I've given you, they're the new environment for you. They are your habitat. They are everywhere. They are what water is to a fish in a fishbowl. And the way that you get them and perpetuate them throughout your life, the way that you embrace this kind of orientation is through teaching children to teach children to teach their children and so on. Of all these commands that we've been looking at and the ones we're going to look at in the weeks to come are about getting Israel's life 
properly oriented to God, living as his people, then the role of parents and what makes them such a treasure is to orient their kids on a kid-by-kid basis to life in the world under God. That gift is what sets up the second thing I want to say about honoring parents. What does it mean to honor parents? Well, one is to treasure their influence, not to resent it, but to treasure God communicating through them into the lives of of their children. Intimately connected to that is trust. So we honor parents by treasuring them, but we also honor them by trusting them. I think it comes straight out of the first one. So if we're to prize them highly, that's, one way, that's a way that one writer defined the word honor here. To prize them highly. Then that's going to mean using them in the way that they're meant to be used. If what makes them so precious, if what makes their value so high, is that they're God's means of guiding us to life under him, then honoring them has got to mean trusting them to guide us. I mean, you treasure a bowl of ice cream by eating it, right? That's its proper function. That's what makes it worthy of a high value. So you treasure parents by trusting them, by actually listening to them, by following what they teach you, trusting their influence in your life. I want you to notice this. There is nothing here in this text that says you ought to honor your parents, trust them, obey everything they say, because your parents always know exactly what's best. Always. Flawlessly. That's not there. They won't always know what's best. Even if they know what's best, they won't always want what's best. There has never been a sinless parent, mother or father. And there's never been an omnipotent parent. And there's never been an omniscient parent who knows everything. And no matter how careful, how wise, how selfless and faithful a parent may be, they will not always be trustworthy on their own. And it makes sense. If you're under parents and you know they're limited and you've experienced their sin, it makes sense to want to check their work, to want to assess on a case-by-case basis whether this is some advice or teaching or guidance you want to honor. But what this command calls us to is to checking out of that. Honoring them means not doing that kind of case-by-case analysis. Honoring them means obeying them, trusting them as they are. Because, ultimately, you don't trust them. You trust the God who gave them to you. You trust them as an extension of your trust in the God who is omnipotent, who is omniscient, and who promises in this very command to bless you when you honor your parents. I think the point behind this promise, this is the first command with a promise. Paul highlights this when he talks about this command in Ephesians 6. It says, honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. I think the reason that promise is there is not literally that if you obey your parents, you live longer. That's a really reductionistic way to read it. This is kind of a shorthand phrase that's used often in the Old Testament for God's blessing in the place that God puts you as, you, as his God over his people. It's a, it's a commonly used phrase that packs a lot of meaning into it. It's about, it's about trusting God to be for you when you trust him through obedience to his commands. And, and what it does, by, by going right after honor your father and mother into this, this promise that God will bless you, is to take your focus off of your father and mother and to put it on the God who stands behind them. The God who gave them to you and promises to use them in your life for your good. 
You honor your parents because God says this is how you flourish. You honor them because you trust God. That's what it means to trust them. I want to move on now to talk about how we can obey this. I think the meaning of the command is, is really straightforward and clear. It, to honor your parents is to treasure them and to trust them. To recognize the importance of having their influence and then to trusting their influence by obeying them. But how can we, how can we actually embrace this? And I realize preaching to a room of this size with this much diversity in it, that, that that's going to look very different for all of us. So what I'm about to say is just going to try to take it one step lower to the ground, make it a little bit more clear how we can embrace it, but you're going to need more help than what I can give you this morning. And I'm going to say more about that here in a little bit. What I want to do to take us one step closer to the ground on this question about how can we honor our parents is to raise three sub-questions, if you will. How can I honor my parents if I'm still living at home? I'm going to start there. Kids, this one's for you. All right, I got a whole section this morning just for you guys. So hold on to your seats. The second sub-question will be, how can I honor my parents if, uh, as an adult? And then the third sub-question I'm going to ask is, how can I honor my parents if my parents are dishonorable? So, kids, this one's for you. How can I honor my parents if I'm still living at home? Did you notice what I was just saying here a minute ago? That what it means to honor your parents is to treasure them and to trust them? I want to give you a couple of ideas about how you can honor your parents on how you can treasure your parents and how you can trust your parents. One way you can treasure your parents is to tell them thank you for all the ways in which they're serving you. That's a good way to treasure them, to actually notice what God has given you when God gave you your, your mom and dad. And what the Bible teaches us is that every good gift we ever have had comes from him. We know he's behind every gift we ever get. But have you thought about how many gifts you have that come from God through your parents? Think about it. I'm not talking just about birthday presents or Christmas presents here. As good as those can be. I'm talking about, I'm talking about all, good th- all good things in your life. All gifts. So, where do you get your food? You know it doesn't just magically show up on your table when you eat dinner at night. Somebody's paying for that food. And somebody's getting that food ready for you to eat it. That's your parents. I know you'd rather have pizza and candy every night. But even the healthy food that they're putting on their table is hard for them to create. So you could thank them for that. Now where, do you, where does your house come from? Of course that comes from God. But did you know that God is using your parents to give you a home to live in? What about your clothes? Those come through your parents too. Where do you go when you get scared at night? You go to your parents who love you. Now, what you should know, what you should think about, is that your parents do love you. And they think about you all the time. And they're always making decisions about how to help you and how to take care of you. And you know what? They love doing it. They love thinking about you all the time because you're precious to them. You're God's gift to them. And you can honor them by telling them thank you for all the ways that they're serving you. That's how you can treasure them. Now I want to tell you just just for a minute here how I think you can trust them. So one phrase that we got 
from a kid's pastor at our former church that we use a lot in our house is to obey quickly with a happy heart. Obey quickly with a happy heart. I think, kids, that's how you can show that you trust your parents. And I'm just going to tell you here that I did not do a good job of this when I was a kid. Um, My mom tells me, I don't remember this, but she tells me that I used to argue with her all the time. My friends out there are all rolling your eyes and saying, okay, that started early. Uh, I used to argue with my mom all the time. I don't remember that, but she tells me that it's true. So instead of obeying quickly, I would talk about why what she told me to do wasn't a good idea. I would talk about why what she told me to do wasn't something I should have to obey. Now, when I was arguing with my mom, only wanting to obey if I thought it was a good idea, what was I showing? I was showing that, that I trust me more than I trust my mom. I really only want to obey if I thought I should. I really only want to do what I want to do. I trust myself more than her. Now, if I only want to obey, if I only want to obey what I like already, what I already see as a good idea, then who am I really obeying? Me. That's not honoring God. That's not honoring our parents as a gift from God. That's not seeing that they do know things I don't know. So friends, those of you who are still living at home, kids, listen. One way that you can obey God who commands you in this text that we're looking at today to honor your father and your mother is by obeying your parents quickly and without arguing to trust that God is using them to help you. Now I'm going to turn to those of us who've been probably shaking our heads, nodding all along, thankful we're not still kids at home so far because this command addresses us too. It addresses us as adults. How can we honor our parents as adults? I mean, think about this. This command came to adults. The primary audience for this law was the adults who were there to listen to it, standing before Moses when he comes down and brings it. So it's always been meant to aim at, at adults. This isn't one exception to the rest of the commands. It's relevant for all of us. So what does that honoring look like? I mean, clearly, it doesn't look the same as kids who live at home. Uh, obedience is not something that we owe to our parents. Uh, it, the Bible celebrates kids growing up and establishing lives of their own. That's really clear. But I do think the two categories I used earlier of trust and treasure still apply. That as adults, we can honor our parents through trusting them and treasuring them. Think about how we can trust them, not through obedience. There are going to be things about your life that they don't understand. You're going to see things they don't see. You're going to have an intimate knowledge of the details of your life that they couldn't possibly have because you're not living at home anymore. So it's not like you just take your marching orders from them anymore. But but your parents are still a resource. Don't fall prey to thinking that you've evolved beyond what they could possibly know or understand. See, actually, the distance they have from your life now could be a great asset to you. Sometimes being close to something, being up in the weeds of something can blind you as much as it can enlighten you. It can actually keep you from seeing things from a perspective that you can't have on your own. So your parents have been through things you can't imagine. They have a unique perspective that God put in your life for you to enjoy. So use them. Trust them by, by seeking their input, even if you don't have to obey it. And treasure them. 
Don't just trust them, but, but treasure them. I think you've got to, we, we, all of us have got to, uh, to be careful and creative in thinking back in years that we were probably so self-absorbed, we, we couldn't imagine why someone wouldn't want to pour out all they poured out into us. And actually think what it cost our parents to be our parents. To think about the time, the energy, the money, the emotional investment that they poured out. Probably starting to realize now, the older that you get, what it cost them to put on a smile and pay attention at your recital when the weight of the world was on their shoulders and they were dealing with things you didn't even know they had going on in their lives. We honor them by treasuring them, by pursuing time with them as best we can. Of course, there are, there are, there are many things that create barriers. Now, when, when most of us don't live in the same place that we grew up and don't live close to parents, uh, th- there are going to be barriers that we have to work around that, that these folks in Israel wouldn't have had to work around to, to pursue time. Face-to-face time might not be possible very often for you. You may have to settle for some digital FaceTime. And of course, there are going to be a lot of variables in play. But, but I'll say this. I mean, boil it all down for all the differences in culture that separate this context from ours. When you boil it down, the best way to see what you treasure is to see what holds your attention. And as kids, our attachment to parents depended a lot on our need for them. We could stay focused on them. Have our, they could hold our attention because we couldn't do without them. As adults, we need them less. And that could easily mean less attachment overall. As if once you don't depend on them, you don't pay much attention to them anymore. All of us are going to be guilty of this at different seasons. And what we need to hear from this text today is that that's actually a failure to honor them. Treats them as means to our ends rather than a treasure given by God. I think a good way to honor our, uh, as adult children, to honor our parents is to take an interest in their lives to actually uh, ask about what's going on for them in a, may that, in a way that we might not have uh, known how to do when we couldn't see past our childhood noses and to actually see them as having independent lives of their own that are worthy of our attention and our affection and our, our prayers and our investment. I, I, I know that as adults, there are a lot of excuses we could appeal to. We are busy. Some of us have our own kids. So we have responsibilities at church and school and wherever else. But no matter how good the other priority is, it can't erase this priority. This priority is a bedrock principle the Bible communicates to us. And it doesn't stop just because we don't live at home anymore. Friends, I, I mean, just to push this one layer, one layer deeper, I, I think that one way to honor your parents as an adult is to prepare to take care of them. Some of you have entered or stand near that new phase uh, where the ones that, that, that once cared for you now need care from you. And reaching that stage, you could be tempted to see their needs as a kind of weight that's holding you back as you pursue the life in front of you that you hope for. This text calls on us to see it not as a, as a kind of weight holding us back, but as a precious opportunity. I read uh, around the end of last year... Um, uh, there was a, a long piece in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, let's listen to the title. It's about the baby boomer generation, what they're facing right now. Uh, this is the title of, of the piece, The Loneliest Generation. Am- Americans more than ever are aging alone. 
the piece is a fantastic uh, stats-based, research-based, interview-based portrait of what this is looking like. But in, in the background of it, behind it, is a, is a pattern of thinking about social relationships with a long history and now, more clear than ever, a set of disastrous results for the stability of a society. The history behind uh, the reality this article is describing is a history where, in, in which our society has come, especially in the West, has come to see relationships as kind of a loose attachment that's to be, that are to be evaluated case by case based on what they bring into your own life and your own quest for individual happiness and good. That every relationship is evaluated not once and for all, but on an ongoing basis for what it brings to the individual and how it advances their goals. And that view of relationships has led to a disastrous breakdown of the family in the last 40 to 50 years. And one of the effects of that breakdown is that now a generation is reaching aging often without the tight connections they need to face what's in front of them. And they've raised a generation. This is a sweeping generalization. This article gives some more details behind it. But in many cases, we have taken on, those of us who are uh, younger than that generation, have taken on that same attachment mentality that we should evaluate the relationships, the attachments we have based on what they bring to our lives. We've taken that on as our own too, and you look at someone who's aging and now going to become more and more of, a, of an inconvenience, more and more of a problem, and that's not a connection that seems to bring much value to life anymore. And so there's this huge gap that's opened up at this crisis point in the life of what they're calling an entire generation. You can read the article for a lot more of the details. I just want you to notice that, that this loose attachment based only on personal convenience, on, on the sort of individual happiness we get from one another is so far removed from the biblical principles we're trying to unpack together this morning. The Bible shows us that aging parents whose needs are growing are not some sort of barrier to the good life or some sort of millstone around your neck that's dragging you down. They're not a distraction stealing your focus or a hindrance to the life that you're building. Friends, let me just make it as plain as I can. They are a main purpose for the life that God has given you. They are an opportunity to honor God by honoring them. And in his providence, he's given you the parents that he's giving you as an opportunity to take up this command and to honor him. Now, I know... um, that, that there, are, there, there, there are those out here, even in this room right now, I know this is not hypothetical, this is for real, because I know you, for whom much of what I've already said was very hard to hear. Uh, because what I've been describing is an ideal world, isn't it? A, a world as God intends it to be, in how parents and children relate to one another, and that, that many of you have experienced the fallenness of the world perhaps nowhere more painfully or vividly than in the relationship you have with your parents and the way they did or did not care for you. I want to talk about that for the rest of the time we have. Another 10 or 15 minutes here. Um, and and I want to say before, I want to say a couple things at the top and then I'm going to get more specific. So this command to honor your father and your mother, you should notice, friends, it doesn't come with a caveat. It doesn't say honor your father and your mother except when they're bad parents. 
That's one, that's one side of a caveat I want to offer. On the other side, I want to say that I know that, the, that, that coming from a broken family, as many of you do, or from parents who weren't attentive to you or whose attention was unhealthy, maybe too much attention, manipulative attention, or parents who abuse their authority over you in ways that have deeply harmed you, I know that each one of your situations is unique and that me now stepping into answering this question about how to honor dishonorable parents is going to be, um, is not going to address the uniqueness of your situation. I realize that. What I want to do is is offer you some principles, I think, from this text and from the wider perspective of the Bible that I want you to think of as a kind of concentrate version. You're going to need to mix them with water before you drink them, okay? And the water that I have in mind for you to mix them with is your friends and your pastors to talk to people about how to apply the general principles I'm about to give you to the unique situation of your relationship to your parents. So please hear me say that and, and, and take me seriously about that. That said, I think we have to go to this question. We have to take it up and consider it. So I want to give you a couple of examples of how you can honor parents who perhaps were not worthy of it on their own merits. And I want to give you the only strength for taking up that call. A couple of ways you can honor them and the only source of strength for taking up that call. Think about, here's here's the first way. Honoring your parents, no matter who they were, no matter how badly they failed you. You have an opportunity to obey God and honor your parents through how you speak of them. I'm not suggesting that you can't acknowledge their flaws to your friends. Much less am I suggesting that you should pretend your parents were perfect. I'm not suggesting that. And, And I know that your parents' flaws are part of your story. And that they're part of, no, that part of knowing you is knowing your experience at home. I'm not saying you can't say anything negative about your parents. I am saying be careful. Be careful what you say about them. That despite all of their flaws, they still came into your life through the providence of the God that you trust. I, I, I don't know if I first got this from a commentary or somewhere. Something put this on my radar. The, 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 the interesting parallel between the way David, King David, talked about King Saul. When Saul was tracking him down, this is in 1 Samuel 24 and 26, Saul was hunting him, wanting to kill him as a threat to his own throne. And two different times, David is right up next to Saul and has the opportunity to kill him And God has told David he's going to make him king. And David knows full well Saul wants him dead. So he has every right, it seems, on the surface of that story, to kill Saul. And in both cases, not only does he not kill Saul, he holds his men back. And what he says is, who am I to touch the Lord's anointed? Saul's authority was bigger than Saul's worthiness of it. Saul's authority was rooted in the God who put him there. And David knew that and held himself back. I think there's a parallel here. In speaking about our parents, even if your parents severely let you down, they are God's anointed in your life. And speaking about them with respect is a way to honor them and ultimately to honor him. 
I want to take this same idea and push it one level further. So not just think about not just honoring them in the way you speak about them, but honoring them in the way that you even think about them. So let's talk about the mental and emotional discipline of the way we view our parents. Here what I mean to say is that we have to be careful that we don't dishonor our parents in the filter through which we view them and our history together. So this is going to be especially difficult to avoid, friends, where where you've experienced pain that they caused for you, I realize. Because we're friends and I know you and we've talked about your stories, I realize that many of you are dealing with very severe uh, uh, consequences to the way that your parents related to you. I think the fact that there is so much to family of origin problems, that there's so much really there, like credibility behind finding the effects of your parents on your own life, just precisely because of the credibility of doing that and what you can learn about yourself through doing that, we're at risk of overdoing that. Once you realize just how much insight you can get from connecting back to your parents, things that you're struggling with now, it can be almost unavoidable to put on a set of lenses through which you view everything about them that can end up actually blaming them for things that they they didn't do or end up offloading responsibility for your own life onto them in a way that's, that's not healthy for yourself or for them. And through those lenses, it can be almost impossible to empathize with them in the way that we're called to empathize with all others. We're called to love our neighbors as ourselves. We crave empathy. When we're sinful or limited, we want people to understand why. That it, all, it doesn't always just, it's not always just about us being sinister. Like sometimes there are consequences or, or, or context features that, that cause us to act in certain ways. You realize that's true about your parents too. That they were acted upon by their own parents and all sorts of other Uh, features in their life, factors in their life. And one of the great difficulties when you've been hurt by someone is to actually see them clearly again. That kind of empathy takes work. It takes self-suspicion about how you view them and the way it could be skewed by your pain. It takes work to see that their flaws have backstories too. It takes work to see that that they were dealing with things that you couldn't possibly see or understand at the time. It takes work to remember that they were limited. And I know you may be thinking at this point, easier said than done. You don't know my parents, and that's true. It was a lot easier said than done, and I don't know your parents in most cases. Maybe you're thinking that this kind of honoring of them and how you speak and how you think about them is impossible. Maybe even worse, you're thinking... That sounds to me dangerous. How can I be healed if I don't identify all the ways I've been affected by my parents? If I don't dig deep into those wounds, how will I ever be free of them? That could be what you're thinking. And I want to tell you now that without the gospel of Jesus Christ, it will be impossible for you to honor them in these ways. And without the gospel of Jesus Christ, you won't experience the healing that you need. In fact, friends, the work that you're doing to understand the effect of your parents on your own life, if that's as far as it goes and doesn't take you to Christ, could actually keep you from the healing that you can only experience through him. I want to press into this a little bit. 
you need to press deeper into Christ for the healing that you need and for the power that you need to obey this command. Think about the context again. Zoom out a little bit with me. Think about the context for the law. What we said at the very beginning, when we were setting this up, just drawing from Exodus 19 and from other parts of the law that talk about this, is that this law was how God was going to show the world who he is. Not only was he going to set Israel free from their captivity, he was going to set them free from the internal change that hold us back into destructive patterns and rebellion against him. He was going to set them free into, set free for a specific way of living that tells the truth about him and shows what a good thing it is to have this God for your God. That's the purpose of the law. Now, this call to honor our parents has that same purpose. It's a reflection of who your God is to you. It says something about your trust in God. And friends, I want you to know that in broken families, where you were let down by your parents, the statement that you make about God through honoring them can be especially clear and compelling. Your ability to honor them says something about what you found in your heavenly father. Psalm 27.10 says, My father and mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. What have you found in the Lord who has taken you in? Were you neglected by your parents? John 10 describes Jesus as the good shepherd who knows his sheep intimately, who loves them so much, so intentionally, that he laid down his life precisely to save them. Luke's gospel pictures this shepherd as the one who's got a full flock, plenty of sheep to deal with, but finds that one is missing and goes after it because every single one of them matters to him. He finds his lamb and returns home rejoicing as Christ did when you repented. Were you often shamed at home and made to feel unworthy? I know many of you were. The gospel tells us that Jesus sees the truth about you. He sees every trace of beauty and dignity that was ignored by your parents. And he sees the flaws that even the most exacting of parents couldn't see into. He sees everything about you, your beauty and your ugliness. And how has he responded to what he's seen? Not by casting you off, but by making you his. He sees it all and he still loves you. He sees what's wrong, that he loves you so much that Paul says in Ephesians 5, he gave himself up for you so that he could sanctify you, so that he could wash you clean, so that he could present you back to himself, Paul says, in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, so that you will be holy and without blemish. That's how Jesus responds to your flaws. Were you made to feel like an annoyance? That you wanted more access to your parents but often got pushed away? First Peter 3.18 says that Christ also suffered for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Hebrews 7 says he now lives just for that. He lives to intercede so that we, Hebrews 10 says, can draw boldly to the throne of grace 
to know that we have help in times of need. And when we come to that throne of grace through Jesus, we come not just to a creator, not just to a ruler or a judge, but to a father who loves his children and knows exactly how to give them good gifts. Friends, there is no hole left in your heart by your parents that's so deep the gospel can't fill it. And filling it give you the power to keep on honoring parents that are not easy to love. In the grace of Jesus, there is healing power. There is new strength. There is a stability to open yourself back up to a relationship that's been painful to you. There is grace to communicate to them in their limitations. There is grace to give them the benefit of the doubt again. There is grace to believe that the future can be better than the past and to open yourself to dealing again with disappointment when your hopes are dashed. And along the way, whatever comes of this relationship, whatever comes from your engagement with your parents, your obedience in honoring them the best way you know how, gives the world a clear and a powerful statement about what you have found in the Lord who has taken you in. There is your opportunity, friends. Let's pray that God will give us the strength to take it up. Father, we pray that you will speak through what you have spoken and that in a fresh and new way this command would seem not like a burden but like an opportunity because we confront it, we take it up with the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. I pray especially for friends out here for whom this has been a hard sermon to hear that you would minister to them now by the truth of who they are in Christ that every lie they've ever been led to believe about themselves would be exposed for the lie that it is, that they would see the truth, a truth that doesn't have to hide from their own sin in order to know freedom from shame, but can embrace forgiveness through Christ, and that they would see they can take up the call to honor their parents with you as their ally, trusting you as the rewarder of those who trust in you and obey. We pray for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.